Hi everybody, my name is Nick Beard. I'm the audiovisual director here at Peninsula Covenant Church, or PCC. Welcome to our message podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, everybody, and Merry Christmas. Good to be with you. Hey, before we jump in, two things I want to let you know. Next week, Uh, I'm very excited for what we're doing on Christmas Eve. Uh, We will be here in this same passage for the next two weeks, uh, but we'll be here at 10 a.m. with, I'm told, Ken's arranged some 60 people to be on this platform to celebrate Christmas Eve in an orchestral, worshipful way. And then we have three evening gatherings at four, six, and eight. So what I wanna encourage you to do, hi, Tyler. I wanna encourage you to come at uh, 10 a.m. And then if you are able, come that night and serve. We need people serving uh, in the evening as well. And then I want to encourage you, as we go into year end, you've got uh, actually a letter and a video from me, and I'm excited to tell you someone received that video about our year end giving from out of state and contacted me and said, hey, um, we want to put forward what now has become $75,000 as a matching grant. So tell everybody, whatever they give towards year end, up to the first $75,000 will get doubled. And so my goal is we have 100% participation in year end giving. Even if it's five bucks, everybody gives something and we see God do uh, some great things at the end of December, okay? Are you all in? All right, half of you are, I love it. Just kidding, stop it. Um, let's grab our Bibles, open them to Luke 2, grab your message notes. I really think these next 30 minutes, everybody, are going to be worth it. I think the whole reason we're here is to worship Jesus. And these next 30 minutes, he's going to push us over the top, okay? Father, thank you for this time and thank you for your word. Thank you so much that, uh, I think I'll say this multiple times, that shepherds get to be the heroes when it comes to your kingdom. You use everybody. And I can identify with them. So as we do lean in to your word, as we lean into your character, whether we know you or just checking you out, as we give ourselves to you to speak to us, we know you will be faithful. So Jesus, emerge from scripture, emerge from these pages of your word and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Okay, have you ever missed something that really mattered? Ever missed something that really mattered? I actually was asking my wife this because I couldn't think of something that I missed that really mattered. Last night I was working on the message. I said, honey, have I ever missed anything that really mattered in our marriage? That's a bad question to ask your wife. And she reminded me of our first year. It was her birthday and I scheduled a retreat on her birthday. She goes, yes, my birthday. And I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah, that's right. That matters, doesn't it? How about you? Ever missed anything that really, really mattered? It may not have been significant, but it mattered to somebody. And there's all kinds of reasons for missing it. You may be running late. Uh, It may have slipped your mind. You might be distracted. Or you may have underestimated how important the event was for the person that, whatever, you missed. Undermining all this, though, I believe, is the curse of our age. When people ask me, what is the greatest challenge for me and for me as a pastor in the church, I tell them by far the greatest challenge in growing in Christ, the greatest immorality in our church, busyness. Busyness. It's the curse of our age. New York Times ran an article called The Busy Trap. 
uh, just recently. And the premise of the article is fascinating. This wasn't Christianity Today. This was the New York Times. They said, uh, when we ask people how they're doing, the, the premise of the article, we talk about busyness as a mass complaint. I'm so busy. But we actually wear it like a badge of honor. Crazy busy or super busy means I'm somebody. I'm just gonna read from the article a little bit. It says, notice, uh, well, let me just read something then we'll get to this quote. The article says, notice it isn't generally people pulling back-to-back shifts in the ICU or commuting by bus to their three minimum wage jobs that tell you how busy they are. The article says, those people are exhausted. What those, uh, it's almost, uh, it's almost always people whose lamented busyness is purely self-imposed, who tell you they're busy. And then here's the quote. Busyness serves as a kind of a hedge for us against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be trivial or meaningless if you're busy or completely booked or in demand every hour of the day. The article says we're busy because of our own ambition or drive or anxiety or because we're addicted to busyness and we dread what we'd have to face in its absence. Can anyone relate to that? Overbooked, overbusy? Now I'm sure that distraction dynamic was in play all over Bethlehem the night that Jesus was born. Uh, What wasn't read in Luke chapter two, this was read last week, so let's start in verse one. Look what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their town to register. Ben brought this out last week. Think about that. Everyone, every one of us having to go to our birthplace, our birth town. What was originally no more, uh, a city no more of 300, that was a population of Bethlehem when Jesus was born, was now caught up in a buzz. Luke actually records it was so busy, no guest rooms were available. And Jesus had to be born probably in a cave uh, in an area reserved for animals. I actually have a picture of a first century feeding trough. There's me and my daughter. In a stone feeding trough, that's what Jesus was born in. That was our version of a way in the manger, first century. It was crazy in Bethlehem's day, in the first century. But think about this in our day. If we all had to go to our hometown, Ben brought this out last week. Imagine the the chaos, the disruption. Imagine the airports. Imagine the highways. If everyone had to travel to their own town. And you talk about missing what matters, everyone in Bethlehem seemed oblivious. Jesus came to earth to occupy this city, but they were too preoccupied with the census to notice. I don't want us to miss him, ever, especially around Christmas. And this Christmas, I want you, we still have eight days. I want you to be intentional, not just with preparing our homes and our gift lists and our meals, but in preparing our hearts. So in the next two weeks, instead of focusing on who missed out, I want to focus on who got it. These shepherds, okay? And I've been asking myself the question, just outside of town, 
How was it that they understood what the whole city missed? In the quietness of the night, there's these shepherds watching their fields. And you wouldn't think that shepherds would be on the top of the list as the ones who first received the announcement of a birth. But you have to wonder. I wonder if it was in part because they weren't too busy to take notice. Now, in the New Testament, shepherds were outcasts. Most of us know that. They were religiously unclean. They were stinky. They dealt with sheep. They were generally dishonest people who grazed their flocks on other people's lands. Uh, Many commentators said these shepherds were looking over sheep that were used as sacrifices in the temple. So in essence, they're leaving their sheep to go see the Lamb of God. They were going to worship the one who would put them out of business one day. It's amazing who they were. I just find it awesome that when God wants to send the greatest news ever, history's most uh, incredible event, he doesn't go to Rome, doesn't go to Athens, doesn't go to Jerusalem. He goes to the smelly, stinky, social misfits of his day. Can we pause one more time and consider that in the kingdom of God, shepherds are the heroes. So are the prostitutes who come to Jesus. So are the misfits who come to Jesus. So are the lepers. So are the ceremonially unclean. Jesus is for everyone. And once you come to Jesus, he wants to make your life heroic too for his kingdom. Everyone, I want you to hear this from my heart. We all qualify to be heroic in God's eyes. It's open to all. But there's one premise. You come to Jesus. And he touches your life and makes it heroic. I love that. So what if God wants us to use us all to be heroic? Some way, in some small way, this Christmas season. Two things I learned about the shepherds I think will apply to us, okay? If you want to experience Jesus this Christmas, they're simple, they're not easy. At some point in this message, you are going to push back because it's counterintuitive. Here's the first. They were in a place to hear from God. They were in a place to hear from God. Their lack of busyness was not intentional. It was just their living. And I wonder if God was overlooking Bethlehem and seeing all the commotion and said, who would really take in this message? Who isn't too busy to absorb the greatest announcement in all of history? Shepherds. They were out in their fields, and instead of caught in the buzz of the city, They were watching over their sheep in sheer darkness. But the benefit of their jobs was they could be in a place where they could hear God more clearly. In those fields, there was a stillness, a hush, a boredom. I was typing this away and I thought, when was the last time we experienced the hush of Christmas? How about you? When was the last time you pushed things out and let God speak? When was the last time you experienced the hush of God ever? And I'm not saying you haven't, but I want you to wrestle with that. Every great, in God's eyes, spiritual man or woman in history, every great, in God's eyes, person in the scriptures that God used, all prioritize this posture of hush. 
And I thought through, okay, who do I point to in scripture? And I thought of David, whatever. I'm just gonna point to scripture's greatest hero, Jesus. And you think about it. You have three years publicly to change the world, to start a movement that will transcend for thousands of years, that will completely upend and bring in the kingdom of God. If anyone had the right to be busy, it was Jesus. But he was never hurried. I don't read in the gospels where he ever ran. He never had to check his day timer or his eye watch for his next appointment. He welcomed interruptions. What was it about him? Look at these passages, they're in your notes, but look at this. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to watch Netflix. to update his Facebook account. No, to pray, to experience hush, to commune. Look at this next one, Luke 22. Jesus went out, here's the words that bugged me in a good Holy Spirit way, as usual, to the Mount of Olives. So his disciples followed him. Now, honestly, I want to ask you a question. From a pastor to person, what's your as usual? What's your often practice? I said hi to Tyler. I love that guy. 20-something years old in L.A. When I was his age, I thought one day I'd wake up at 53 and just, bam, be a godly man. I've learned that doesn't happen that God grows a soul and grows character little by little over time. And I have a responsibility somehow in that. God has full responsibility, but he gives me responsibility. And my responsibility is to create some apt, usual, as usual, or often moments and just sit before God and let the hush come over me and God's grace meet me and mold me. Jesus was so as usual that his enemies knew if they're going to take him out, we know exactly where to find him. He'll be in the Mount of Olives because he goes there all the time. I want to ask it again. What's your as usual? What's your often? Don't beat yourself up. That's condemnation. If you're a follower of Christ, that's not of God. Live in grace, live in conviction, but don't be the same. I really believe with all my heart that in some small way, God spoke to the shepherds first because they weren't caught up in the freneticism that was Bethlehem in the first century. Now, I think there's two types of people here. Some of you are sitting here and you're listening to this and you're going, I have way too much hush. I feel like a shepherd this Christmas, and it's not even my choice. This was brought on me, or for whatever reason, I find myself outside of all the parties, outside of all this. Yesterday, uh, we have a big Gadini family gathering, 20-something people, all my siblings, completely chaos, and we're hosting this year, uh, two days before Christmas, the day before Christmas Eve. I don't know why I do these things, but it's just nuts. And um, we put the fun and dysfunctional in the Gadini family. That's your line last week. So I'm at the Biscotteria on El Camino, south side of the city, because we're doing an old-fashioned Italian Christmas. 
and I'm ordering cannoli, of course, right? God's chosen dessert. Well, I'm, I'm talking to the woman who's from Milan, and I'm saying, yeah, we're having this Gadini family Christmas. My four foot 11 Sicilian grandmother, she made uh, the greatest cannoli on Christmas. Christmas isn't Christmas without cannoli. And she says to me, I'd do anything to come to that meal. Because I'm from Milan. I'm new here. I've got nowhere to go at Christmas. I'm like, you're, you're invited. Come on. She goes, really? I'm like, come on. Come join us. Now listen, that's no big deal. You do the same thing. But in some small way, I encountered a woman who felt like a shepherd. And the people of God should be inclusive. That's our posture all week long with these invites. I'm keeping invites in my back pocket, trusting God for divine appointments all week long for Christmas Eve. And just saying, come on and join us. It's going to be great. Some of you feel that way. I just want to encourage you that God, God knows. God's aware. And I pray the body of Christ becomes that. Whether it be tonight, we have that service of remembrance tonight for people who are grieving at Christmas, just an hour to create space for grief in this holiday season, or Christmas Eve, or when we break and we gather and you ask each other, what are you doing for Christmas? Let's find it so no one's alone. Now, the other part of us, we're not like shepherds. We're way too busy. Expectations are high. Activities are high. Family and friends are coming. There's all kinds of details that need to be taken care of. You're looking at your to-do list and you're getting overwhelmed. I want to encourage you that the harder it is to slow down these next seven days, the more we need it. The more we need it. Because one day we're going to look back on today in which we prioritized that hush. So can I encourage you to build some time and margin into your busyness? Schedule it. That's what I've done this week. I've scheduled appointments with God throughout my week. I was feeling pretty good till the sermon last week, Ben, when I found out somehow I have to not only do a dinner for 20, participate in seven services between now and Christmas, but I have to eat a meal of 3,000 calories. Uh, there's a 1.7 billion candy canes that are going to get consumed, so I have to be part of that. 22 million turkeys and 7.3 billion shrimp. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, i got to schedule some hush with God. I give you permission, take out your cell phones while I'm talking, and schedule some hush God, hush time with God. Really, I'm not trying to be cute. Because I know if you don't prioritize it, it won't happen. I know it won't. Am I the only one that knows that? I don't think so. So first thing, I think they had margin their life to hear the message. But hearing is only part of it. Think with me. I mean, I'm 53 years old, didn't become a Christian until I was 18. I'm kind of doing the math. How many messages have I sat under and heard? Hearing is only part of the deal. The second reason I think Jesus went to the shepherds first, the angels did, they were willing to act on what God told them. They weren't just hearers, they were responders. Really important. You know, this isn't rocket science, right? Got no Greek or Hebrew for you or deep theology. I'm not going to quote any dead theologians for you. This is just simple stuff, everybody. They had margin to hear. They had a heart that responded. You know what their heart was? You ready? Yes, Lord. Do you have a yes, Lord heart? 
Or do you have a yeah, but, Lord? Oh, I'll do that next week, Lord. Yeah, that's a great revelation. That was a great message. Oh, Gadini missing his wife's first birthday. Ha, 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 ha. But are you going to respond to what God puts on your heart in here? Or through the reading of the Advent candle, or through a hymn where God says, bam, there's a line. Respond to that. Look what it says. Two words we're going to focus on for the rest of our time together. Luke 2.15. Let's go. Let's go. So here's what I want to share. Let's just focus on the go part. The shepherds didn't just receive the announcement and the invitation. They responded to it. They didn't just receive it. They responded to it. I don't see and I can't read any sense of obligation on the part of the shepherds here. They're not kicking the sheep going, dang, I guess we got to leave the sheep and go check this out. They are elated. They're elated. They respond in extreme ways. Okay, brace yourself. Everyone, do I have your attention? I can't read in the Gospels, in anywhere in the Gospels, where people responded to Jesus tepidly. Love him or hate him. People either tried to grab him and push him off a cliff to kill him. People beat him. They ripped his beard out. They either hated him in extreme ways or they followed him in extreme ways. They broke through parties and opened up alabaster jars and poured out their affection at his feet. They dropped their nets and followed him. They left the sheep and followed him. Every response I see to Jesus, positive or negative, is extreme. I don't see half-hearted response to following Jesus. No wonder the shepherds would say, let go, let's go. They are just doing what everyone in the Gospels did, respond wholeheartedly. In the book of Hebrews, it brings about this interplay between reception and response to the forefront of its readers. Three times in the book of Hebrews, you'll see this passage. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today, act on what God puts on your heart. When? Today. When? Today. today. Right now, today. If God prompts your hearts, when God speaks, don't delay. So I'm going to ask you, what's your let's go conviction for the week? What's your let's go conviction for the week? What has God put it on your heart? What have you experienced so far? What did you experience this morning or last week where you know God is saying to you, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. Do it today. Who needs to be called? Who needs to be invited? Who needs to be apologized to? What resources need to be deployed? What Bible study do you need to join? What is your let's go? conviction. That's the first thing, go. I think that's why God went to the shepherds. God will use anyone who's willing to go. Anyone. He used Balaam's donkey. That gives me hope. I've been called worse. Now, the second word I want to focus on, let's. Strikes me that God didn't show up to just one shepherd. He showed up to a community. 
And when God's conviction and revelation came, maybe a shepherd was sitting there going, oh, should I go? I don't know. And someone said, what? Come on, join us. There was a let's aspect to this revelation. Uh, Hebrews, again, great book, Hebrews. One day we'll study it. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, a key verse for me, said this. says this, but encourage one another, how often? Daily, as long as it's called today. There's that word again. Scripture uses a lot of today. So that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now let's just do a Bible study here, okay? Uh, what is the warning against? Think in your mind. Sin, hardened heart, you guys are really good. It's an open book test. Uh, I would point, if you really look deep, it's, it is sin, hardened heart, but it's that point before sin where there's deceitfulness and there's deceitfulness to every aspect of sin where you buy into it. And the scripture's an admonition against this point. If this is the sin line right here, right? If this is where you cross the line and you sin, this is encouraging us, don't cross this line right here where you're tempted to buy into deceit and a lie. And what's the antidote? Encouragement. Encouragement means you can do this. Encouragement means stop doing this. I love you too much. Stop doing this. I was driving on Friday for um, a family get-together uh, through Marin, and uh, I had a phone call with a friend of mine in Alabama, and I was, there's just a lot of challenges around uh, our lives at this season. It's just well, the season we're in as a family, and, and I called this guy, and I'm going to tell you, 22 minutes and 30 seconds later, I was a different man when I hung up that phone. Because this man just said, hey, let me give you a different perspective and just quoted scripture around my life and encouraged me. It didn't change my circumstances. As a matter of fact, it got worse over the weekend. But he gave me handles to hold on to of God's word. It was my let's moment. I wouldn't be who I am without a let's, without a commitment to other brothers and sisters in Christ, to let them speak into my life, honestly, truthfully, to make me aware of my blind spot. You will, I'm just gonna say this as forcefully and humbly as I can. Church, as your pastor, I've got to tell you this. You will never live into your full redemptive potential. You'll never be the man or woman you wanna be without a let's. The call to Christ is a call to community. And not just this kind of community, I'm so grateful you're committed to this kind of community, but an interpersonal community where someone knows you and loves you and speaks into your life where you actually submit one another to another life, where you trust their word more than your own intuition because sin can be deceitful. Hearts get hardened. Is that making sense? So these, and, and let me just say, you have lived this out so well. So many of you, I'm looking at faces. You're my heroes in the faith in that sense. Thank you. This church is better because you prioritize let's. So I think one of the reasons the angels came to them was because they said, you know what? There's a community, a community of yes, Lord, but a community, and they'll encourage each other. And so they couldn't help but respond, and they go. 
And we got to wrap this up. Luke chapter 2, verse 20. Look at this. Look how they returned. I know this is the desire of your hearts deep down inside. Every one of us was created for this kind of core experience 24 7. And this is beyond emotion, this is an intention. The shepherds returned, they went right back to what they were doing. They didn't go to the manger and God said, stay here, I am taking you out of your call. No, no, they went back because the best gift of God for this peninsula isn't the pastors. Our best resource is you. Men and women disguised as nurses and plumbers and um, insurance salesmen and actors and anything God's called you to do. Disciples of Jesus disguised as that. So Jesus shows up in unexpected ways, in unexpected places. Listen, you know why these places aren't full? There's probably a lot of reasons, but primarily the premise of the 95% of this peninsula that isn't flooded into any church, they have a thought of what they're going to experience here. So let's bring Jesus to them in ways they have no idea he'd show up. Am I making sense? I love this part of the story. The shepherds returned. You're going to return. I wish, we, I wish all of life was this. Some of my best hours of the week are right here with you. Or at 9.05 in the gym. Or 11 here. Or down at Hudson. Some of the best hours of my week. But you know what that really is? You know what that is? It's my inner longing for heaven. It's God's imprint in my life just to be in heaven. And experience unending fellowship without sin I, I do sin in here but you know what I mean without like my dukes up or fighting out the battles heaven's coming but we got work to do and so this service will end at some time and God will go with us and we'll take Jesus and he'll follow us or actually he'll go ahead of us and he'll show up in our workplace in unexpected ways in unexpected places so people peel back the layer of your character or your work ethic or you're sniffing the aroma of Christ. Something smells different in here. And then you testify, that's Jesus. And like, wow, I didn't expect Jesus to be in a tax office or to be on the set or to be in an accounting office or the hospitals, wherever you show up. Does that make sense? I love doing that. I love that about Jesus. Jesus, that woman didn't expect Jesus to show up in the biscotteria as a person, uh, you know, ordering cannoli. But Jesus showed up, and the woman was drawn to that. He'd been working on her heart. An invitation was extended. Actually, she invited herself. It didn't get any easier than that. <laughs> I can't even take credit for that. That barely took faith. But I left astounded, going, wow, God, you're amazing. I love that. So I got to end this. They returned glorifying, praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as had been told. They went back, but they went back changed. They went back, but they went back different. Same role, whole new purpose, whole new mindset, continually in the original sense, glorifying and praising God. Last line, then we'll pray. As we personally encounter the reality of Jesus coming to earth, that shouldn't change you. It actually should determine you. Let Jesus determine you and set your priorities. Amen? Amen? Okay, let's pray. Father.
I feel like I need to stop because I don't want to get in the way of what you're doing right now through your Holy Spirit. There are some here that have a prompting. They need to go experience Jesus in a whole new way. Maybe that's you. You're here and you're going, gosh, I, I'm drawn to that kind of Jesus that would make a, a shepherd, an outcast, the hero that would forgive me for all my immorality and all the things I've done wrong. I'm drawn to that kind of Jesus. If that's you, I want to encourage you. Lean into that prompting. Go to the information table at the end of this service. Find out about this thing we call gospel, why Jesus came to earth in the first place to rescue you and me. Lord, I pray for others who just feel like we're overwhelmed because we're busy, that we would lean into your prompting. We'd respond to what you put on our hearts. Right now, like right now, before we leave this building, priorities would be rearranged so that we experience hush in the next eight days and for the rest of our lives. And lastly, I pray for those who feel like a shepherd, outcasts, lonely, you know, meet them. Let there be divine appointments as only you can. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for coming for changing everything, for giving us a story, good news to tell, and the hope of heaven and eternity. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said loudly. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We believe you're here for a reason, and we would love to connect with you more. Our campuses are located in Redwood City, California. You can find us online at wearepcc.com and on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for We Are PCC. Our Christmas Eve services are coming up, and we would love to see you there. We have a 10 a.m. traditional service, and our contemporary services are 4, 6, and 8 p.m. All campuses will be meeting at our Farm Hill campus for Christmas Eve, so we can all celebrate the birth of Christ together. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week.